Well, let's just go right into prayer. Father, we just thank you for your presence that's already in this place this morning. We thank you that we don't have to wait for you to show up. You said where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. We thank you that you have come and made your home in us. So wherever we go, there you are. There's never a time where we would find ourselves far from you. We've been received. We received you. And you received us unto your own. And so we thank you that you are here with us right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've taken hold with us. And we thank you this morning that as we open the word, you bring revelation and insight. You show us the things that you were intending when you inspired them to write this word. And we thank you that your word is alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It discerns between what are the thoughts of our hearts and what are our intents and what you're actually saying, Lord. And so we thank you for it. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just lift up our hands for a moment. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We give you glory. Oh, we know you are moving, moving among us. Oh, we thank you for hearts being restored. We thank you for eyes being opened. Oh, we thank you for bodies being healed. Oh, yes, Lord, and minds being renewed. In Jesus' name, oh, we worship you, Lord. Yes, oh, we worship you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, you are worthy. Yes, oh, Jesus, so worthy of all praise. Oh, we give you our attention. We open up our hearts. Yes, Jesus, you're the only one we want. Oh, we just praise your name. We praise your name. Hallelujah. Isn't God good, church? Oh, it's so good just to worship him. Hallelujah. You know, the thing about worship, it's not subject to your feelings. Because <laughs> to be honest, if I went by my feelings this morning, I would not be worshiping. But you know what? I don't worship because of what's going on around me, I worship because of the one who is worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Toph. I'm sure we could just go all day, but... <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, last week we started a new mini-series called Accepted in the Beloved. And I, I have to admit, I had such a fun time preaching last week. And I just anticipate that to continue into this week. I believe that this is a specific series that God has dropped into my heart specifically for us in this church. Why? Because when you get a revelation of how much God loves you, it empowers you to walk a little different. You walk with a little bit more backbone. Because you understand who's with you, who's backing you up, who's never going to leave you or forsake you, who's already been to your future, who's given you his Holy Spirit that leads and guides you into all truth. It says he shows you things to come. He brings things to your remembrance. He leads you in paths of peace. He shows you how to glorify the Father. Man, the love of God will revolutionize your life. 
And so we started in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And we could camp out on there for a while. He has blessed us. So many people are trying to persuade or feel like they have to persuade God to bless them when he's saying, I've already done it. Has is a past tense. You know, I told you last week that, that in the Greek language they actually have seven tenses. Well, we only have three, and has is the one that involves the past. Because last time I checked, Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already gone to the grave. He's already risen victorious, and he's already ascended on high, and he's seated down, sat down at the right hand of the Father. But then Ephesians 2 tells us that he has raised us up together with him and made us to sit there on the right hand of the Father. How can you not be blessed when all you have to do is go, oh wait, God, you're right there. <laughs> he hasn't moved. And positionally, spiritually, you haven't either. Oh, it's not the message, but I'd like to camp there. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You know, the thing about that word every, it's the equivalent of the Greek word all. And there's no way that you can manipulate that word to say anything other than all. All means all. And so if we look at it from God's perspective, he left nothing out. Which means nothing is missing that you need right now. Maybe you don't perceive what your solution is right now, but you have what it takes to walk where you are right now because he has blessed you. He said, even before the world, he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You are not an accident. He loved you and he chose you. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself. Think about that for a second. Most people think that we went to him. It says that even when you chose him, he had already chosen you. And he brought you to him. Hallelujah. You know, I find there's too much of the body of Christ that has a distant God mentality. They think God's way over there and there's some great chasm between us and him. That chasm's already been bridged by the cross. You've already walked across it, and you stand with God right now. I remember I was at a, at a church one time, and this lady had just found out that she had cancer and didn't have very long to live. And so the pastor was praying for her. And after you heard it, would hear his prayer, you'd be like, God, I wish you hadn't prayed for me. <laughs> because he started like this. He said, Lord, if you could choose to, if you want to, could you please come near to this woman? Which means that he already, real, in his mind, God's not present in this situation. But if you choose to stay away, God, We'll understand it. And I, if I was that woman, I'd be like, stop praying. <laughs> you know, a good friend of mine over in Greece, Spiros Vulgaris, he was, um, 
he was, went, he was about to launch out into a new city, and so he went and started praying with a bunch of the, the, the Pentecostal uh, charismatic leaders in that city before he was going to launch out in a new area of ministry there. And he got into a room with them all, and this is how their prayer started. God, we art thou such worms in your presence. And he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can pray here. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to talk to my daddy. God is not distant. He's right here. Even one of his covenant names is the Lord is here. It says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's an ever-present help in time of need. Okay, let's get back on track. So God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do. God didn't need convincing. It was his idea, and it gave him great pleasure. So not only did it, was it his idea, he enjoyed doing it. And it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, if you were reading through that really quick, it'd be really easy to pass over those words. As I mentioned last week in the New Living Translation, they don't even include it. They put a star beside it, which I don't know how you can miss that in the translation. It literally says, karutu en agapeo. You can't cut that out. It's there. He has accepted us into his beloved. Just as Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, when he came up out of the water, God called down. He said, that's my boy. I love him dearly. I paraphrased. (laughs) But you realize that's what God thinks about you. That's my daughter. That's my son. That's the one I love. His love has not run out. You know, we often look at salvation and we're like, oh yes, God so loved us. Yeah, he gave Jesus. But then we act as though the love stopped there. God can't stop loving. First John tells us that he is love. It's not something he has. It's something he is. And if it's something you are, you can't run out of it. And you can't stop being it. It's physically what you are. God is and the very root of his nature is sacrificially loving. His nature drives to how can I give to my kids? How can I give to my babies? How can I do anything I can so that they can stand strong and confident and well-established? And I think it's just such a shame the way that we treat God worse than we treat a natural father or a natural mother. We just look at natural parents and we see what they do and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, they love them. And then God, we're like, well, you know, God, if we could convince you. He doesn't need convincing. In Matthew, it says, if you ask, a son asks a father for a fish, he gives him a fish. He doesn't give him a serpent or, or a, there's a whole bunch of different examples he's using. He says, how much more your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? You have been accepted into the beloved. You have stepped into the full blast of God's love. And there is no umbrella. There's no structure. There's no roof. There's nothing that you can put over yourself that can shelter you from the love that God has for you. 
And as last week I told you what Charles Spurgeon said about it, he says, are there grander words in any language than these four? There seems to be a sacred poem in these words. And to my heart, there is more a heavenly music in those four words than in any oratorio I've ever heard. So obviously he saw something in those four words, accepted in the beloved, that to the casual reader, we would just say, oh yeah, that's great, and move on. But something pricked in his heart. And you know, I had another aspect of this I was going to preach this morning, but as the more I looked at accepted, that we've been accepted, there is so much depth there about what God thinks about you. And we took a deep dive last week, and this morning we're going to take an even deeper dive into that one phrase, accepted in the beloved. And the great thing about the Bible is that you will never run out of things to discover about it. It is so deep. You will spend all of eternity discovering the fullness of what he has put into the word. And so that word we told you for accepted is the Greek word karutu, which finds its root in charis, which is the word grace. And in its simplest definition, it's just to make graceful. And when he says to make graceful, he's not talking about making you move effortless like a ballerina. (laughs) I didn't make it all the way around there. (laughs) I am not graceful on my feet. But that's not what God is talking about when he says he has made you graceful. If you look at the very word, he made you full of grace. He has filled you with his grace. And so that's just the simplest definition of karutu, is that God has filled you up with grace. You're not in short supply of his grace. You've got a full supply. And we told you last week that the main definitions for karutu are to pursue with grace, to compass with favor, and to honor with blessings. And last week, we got to do some good shouting just around those three phrases. Because when you understand that he's pursuing you, that's not a casual word. That's not a, I'm sitting back. If you come to me and you do it the right way, then I might help you. No, it says he's pursuing us. And so that's the very first one we want to look at this morning. What does he mean when he says he's pursued us, to pursue us with his grace? Well, first off, the word pursue means to follow in order to overtake, to capture, to kill, and to defeat. And when you hear those last two, you're kind of like, what, God's trying to kill me? Well, if you ask some people in religion, you'd almost think so, but that's not what he's talking about here, and so we're going to take a look at it. The first one I want to look at is he pursue means to follow in order to overtake, and as soon as I read that, immediately what popped up is I was reminded of Je- De- uh, Deuteronomy 28.2, where it says, and these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, this is an excerpt from the law, but you know, under the new covenant, there's a, there was an obedience that you had as well, and you want to know what that was? God said, all who call upon my, the, my name will be saved. You obeyed, you call upon his name, and received him. You've gone through the act of obedience. And it says, blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the country. I like that because there's nowhere where you can be where you're not because you're either in one of the two. Right? Right now we are in a city. When I get in my vehicle to go home, 
I will be heading to the country. I will be blessed in both. (laughs) Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Now, if you want to think about that in the context, they were in an agrarian society. This is talking about their businesses. They were in the business of herds and cattle, and they needed the offspring of their flocks to continue their herd. It says, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Now, this could be from just in the sense of him providing food for you, or in this sense, they could have been bakers. They were selling in the local market. God is not limited to just supplying your needs. He's interested in in your businesses, in your places of employment. You know, as someone who is employed by someone else, you can bring blessing to the establishment in which you work because the blessing has overtaken you and it follows you where you go. And so maybe you should stop talking bad about your employer. I'll talk to the camera like I'm talking to them. Stop talking bad about your employer and start speaking blessing over the place where you work because when they increase, things get better for you. He said, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. So whether you're in the building or out of the building, God's blessings have not left you. And it says, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face. And they will come out against you one way and they'll flee before you seven ways. So if you found yourself where it feels like the enemies have closing in, guess what? They're going to be turned around. You don't need to go, oh no, what am I going to do? It looks like they're going to take me out. You say, oh, here's what I'm going to do. My God has turned it around. He's turning it around. And it says, The Lord will command the blessing on your storehouses and all which you set your hand to. And he will bless you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And he will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all of the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And the Lord will open of his good treasure the heavens, to give the rain on your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand and you shall lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. Now that just reminded me, I wasn't thinking about this earlier, but the story of Norval Hayes, he says he'll give you rain on your land in its season. You know, you can be in the midst of a drought and God can bless your land still. I remember Norval Hayes, he had a lot of uh, um, orange groves and there came an early frost in Florida that year, which is odd. They don't generally get frost and everyone lost their oranges except for him. One side of the street, they were all dead because of the frost. On the other side of the street, not a single drop of frost on any of his crops. And so the local news came out to interview him about it, and he's like, what do you expect? I'm blessed. The Lord is with me. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If, if, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and you're careful to observe them. And so under the law, they 
were bound to whether their actions or not, uh, not made them worthy to receive. He said, if you obey and if you li- listen to all my commandments, you have to understand that Jesus came and fulfilled this. He was perfect so that we don't have to be. Because you couldn't be. If we could fulfill the tenets of the law, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. But it was also based upon how good their high priest was. And when it was getting closer to the time of Jesus, let me just tell you, they didn't have any good high priests. They were selling it to the highest bidder because of the influence and the business opportunities that it would bring. And so as the high priest goes, so goes the nation. Well, guess what? You don't have a bad high priest. Hebrews 8, 6 says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So if you think about how good the blessings that were told that would overtake the nation of Israel if they fulfilled the law, how much more you under a new covenant based on better promises mediated by a better high priest who cannot fail and will never change and once for all has entered into the holy of holies and paid it all for everyone. God has pursued you in order to overtake you. And when he overtook you, so did his blessings, so did his favor, so did his love, so did his grace. Because he can't be separated from those things. God cannot, in his own self, not be blessed. He is the source of all blessing. And so if you are with God, his blessings are there with you. And so he's pursued you in order to to overtake you. The next one was, means to follow in order to capture. So let's think about this for a second. I like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. It says, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they were trying to accuse him. Basically, they were looking for any opportunity, and Jesus was like the ultimate one at like dodging. <laughs> it says at one point they wanted to grab him and throw him off a cliff, and he just like walked right through. And so here they were trying to entrap him, and his answer to them was this. Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not lay hold of it? and lift it out? God has laid hold of you. He has captured you. You are his little sheep. How many times has he used you, the sheep as an example of what his body, his church is? He has laid hold of you. And in this situation here, he says to them, will you not lift up your natural sheep that's fallen in a pit? Will you not lay hold of it? Next verse, verse 12 says, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? (laughs) If a natural man would lay hold of the sheep in the pit and you're more valuable, God has laid hold of you. So if you feel like you're in the pit, Don't struggle. 
let him wrap his arms around you and lift you out. And so in this situation that Jesus was in, he answers the question and then he turns his focus onto the one who needed lifting out. And he said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul's saying, I've got to get my head around this concept that I just need to grab hold because God already has grabbed hold of me. He's already captured me. You know, Montgomery, my goodness, that kid is so squiggly sometimes. You run after him, you chase him, and you grab him, and he goes, and just takes off like a greased pig. And I feel like as the body of Christ, a lot of us do the same thing when God comes to our rescue. No, I can do it on my own. I don't need your help. (laughs) God has wrapped his loving arms around you. He has laid hold of you. Let him lift you up. Pursue. To follow in order to overtake, to capture. Well, you, do we want to do, do deal this one or do you want to skip over? Let's show of hands. Who wants to talk about how God wants to kill them? No, it's, <laughs> it's not what he's talking about. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved him, loved me and gave himself for me. God has pursued you He's captured you and he took your old nature and he killed it. He took it to the grave. You were there on that day with him. He put it in there, he killed it, and you got up alive. Hallelujah. And so the next verse says, so I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. Because when you think of it like that, whew, God has done a work. Now, when he took your old self and killed it, you weren't even a thought in your parents' eyes. So he wasn't looking at your goods and your bads, which is why the previous verse says, I had to stop trying to fulfill the law because God wasn't doing it based upon the law. It says, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So he's taken your old self and he killed it. Let it die. Let it be dead. Let it stay in the grave. That's why Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices because we like to take the old man up and remember all of the faults and the shortcomings that it had, but it's dead. Stop dragging the corpse around. If we would think about this, just picture having a dead body on your back and having to drag it in the air. Hold on a second. I've got to sit down and br- take a break for a moment. 
You don't need to haul the old baggage around anymore. Let it die. And as Peter said, cast all of your care upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Back to pursue. It means to follow in order to overtake, to capture, to kill, and defeat. Well, what did he defeat? Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being he could die, and only by dying could he break, or we can insert the same word, defeat the power of the devil who had the power of death. Where did he get that from? He got that from Adam when Adam gave up his rights and privileges. Jesus came and did something about it. Revelations tells us that he arose with the keys of death, hell, and the grave in his hands. He took the power that the enemy had over your life. He defeated him once and for all. And it says in the next verse, only in this way could, he, could you be set free, all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. You don't have to be afraid of dying. He killed the old man. And it says, And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses. I like what the next verse says. It says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The enemy's been defeated. And it's like that old show, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. The only thing that trips you up is your choices. He's only got the power that you give him because he's been defeated and stripped of his power. Now, Paul was very intentional in the words that he used. And when it says that he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, he was writing to a society that was heavily influenced by the Roman Empire because they had conquered most of the known world at this point. And so when we talk about uh, making a public spectacle of them and triumphing, they knew exactly what he was talking about it. When a Roman general would go on a campaign and f- wage a war against whatever tribe or whatever nation, when they won, they would, if they captured the king alive or they'd take some of the leaders and they'd bring a whole bunch of slaves back, they would go on a tour and they would parade them in front of their citizens, showing them just how defeated that nation now is. Jesus went on a tour with the devil in tow and all of hell's cohorts, and he led them in front of all of heaven and said, they are done. And so when they say that he triumphed over them and made a public display, the Roman Empire would build these great arches and the bit usually be in the center of the famous cities, and then they would parade them under that arch while the leaders would stand up and look down and realize that you are now under my feet. What does it say about everything with Jesus? He's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. My head can't be up there and my body down here. 
if it's under his feet, it's under yours. Just a side note, those arches that they built were just beautiful. We got to see the Arch of Galerius in Thessaloniki a year and a half ago. Man, they know how, knew how to build things, trust me. 2,000 years later, still standing. We can't even make things last 100 years. Just a side note. But he has pursued us. He has followed us in order to overtake us, to capture us, to kill the old man, and he defeated the enemy on our behalf. But it says that he pursued us with his grace. Grace was the agent that produced the change. Now, grace is just his unmerited, undeserved favor. It's his empowerment in us and at work in our lives. But if we think about how grace works, the best way is to always look at salvation. In in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And Colossians tells us that as you have begun in the faith, so continue in. And so the form, I don't like calling it a formula, but the way salvation works is the way you live your life. There was a provision and that provision was made by grace, and you lay hold of it by faith. Now, there's things that we just talked about that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf that will do us no good unless we place faith in them and believe, God, yes, the old man's dead. Yes, I'm safe in your arms right now. Yes, your blessings have overtaken me. Yes, the enemy's been defeated on my behalf. Yes, you've killed the old man. There's things that if we don't believe and exercise faith in, they'll do us of no benefit, just like salvation is of no benefit to those who don't believe. I like Romans 5, 1 and 2. It's my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, So is this before or after salvation? Because he says we've been justified by faith. When were you justified by faith? When you received the grace that he has given you. So it's after salvation. So think about it there. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And so post-salvation, you can access grace the same way you did at salvation, by faith. Is there more that we could be walking in today than what we've done in the past? We'll leave it there for today. The next definition of Karutu was to compass with favor, which basically he just means he surrounded you with favor. Surrounded on every side, meaning wherever you turn, you find God's favor today. It's there. When you walked into the room, favor walked into the room with you. Think about that next time you have to go into a meeting that's a little hostile. Go ahead and, God, I thank you that I have favor as I go in here. Your favor surrounds me. It goes before me. It makes a way for me. I thank you that I have your favor as I walk into this meeting. And watch things begin to change on your behalf. God loves when his children take him at his word. I like what Proverbs 8.35 says. It says, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Have you found the Lord? Then you found his favor. 
And in the Old Testament, it is written in Hebrew, and here's what that word means. It means you have found pleasure, you have found delight, you have found favor, you have found goodwill, and you found acceptance. Isn't that what we're talking about? We have been accepted in the Beloved. And He has chosen to honor us with blessings. Hallelujah. And so if we go back to where we started this morning, it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Blessed is the word eulogio, which means to praise, to celebrate with praises, to invoke blessings, and to consecrate a thing with solemn prayers. But the definition changes when it's used in reference to God. This is just simple if you want to look it up. Blue Letter Bible, look, in, look up this verse, click on bless, blessed, you'll see the word eulogio, and it'll tell you. When it's referenced with God, here's what it means. To cause to prosper, to make happy, and to bestow blessings on. People get finicky when we talk about prosperity. I'm not interested in talking about all those people who have abused this. People have been stupid. I do not believe if you send some moron a thousand dollars, you're going to get the thousandfold blessing. Let's just be very clear about that. That makes my blood boil. You don't need to put a thousand dollars in to get a thousandfold blessing. Things falling off the walls. <laughs> God has already blessed you. His blessing and his prosperity has overtaken you. He cares intimately about every area of your life. Prosperity, financial prosperity is like the lowest form of prosperity. It's included, but I'm more interested in people's emotional prosperity. You want to look at the current generation that comes, is coming up? They are so stuck and bogged down in anxiety and depression, and the suicide rates are going up. You want to know what prosperity they need? They need emotional prosperity. They need to understand the loving God that loves them, unashamed every day. So we don't have to get upset about the word prosper. He's not talking about just your money. He's talking about your life. And wherever he is, my God, things just begin to overflow. Because he has made us accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. We have become the object of the expression of God's love. God so agape the world that he gave Jesus and he made you one with him raised you up, made you to sit together with him in heavenly places so that his love could full blast be on you every day. First John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that's what we are. We are his beloved. We are his beloved. We are his beloved. Now, I really want you to catch this next thing I'm about to say, though. Is everybody ready? Just because you are accepted in the beloved doesn't mean you've accepted your place in the beloved. There's a difference between how he views you and how you view you and him. And we are finding more and more people all the time that don't know how to be loved 
because they haven't been shown. They had poor parents. I was just recently talking to a gentleman who he had, um, he was a foster parent and he was dealing with a 16-year-old girl who had been completely abused by her father, abandoned by her mother, and now he's like, he said to me, he said, she doesn't know how to receive the love that we're trying to give her. And so she's acting out in all these ways, and he's like, I don't know what to do. And I said, you know what? You gotta keep loving. You could say, okay, if you don't want it, I said, you keep showing it and eventually things will click. You know, it's just like last week we were talking about the prodigal son, really the prodigal father. There was two sons in that story, right? There was the one that returned and they threw the party for, but then there was the angry son, right? Do you know that he was present with the loving father the whole time, but never learned to receive his love? Did, did the father love that son less? No. In Luke 15, 31, it says, his father said to him, look, dear son. That's loved son. The word used there is technon. It's the word used to, to portray love and admiration. It said, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Many Christians have been by God, but have never allowed themselves to be loved by Him. And so last week I told you we need to learn, allow ourselves to be loved, which means we need to let down the walls of our heart and let Him flood it with love. You don't need to keep your walls up with God. Maybe life has taught you that you need to be closed with those around you, not God. You open up your heart, let out a breath, say thank you for loving me God I thank you that you love me I receive your love you know things don't always change every day but a little bit by little bit we learn to open up our hearts more and more as I said last week we welcome it we entertain it we become fond of it and we love it dearly but when you begin to focus on it what we focus on thrives this week i had lots of opportunity to focus on things our our uh, our truck wouldn't start it was like wednesday morning just like nothing completely dead we had to have it towed in and after them doing lots of diagnostics we discovered that rodents had chewed right through our wiring harness and as the day went on, I was getting madder and madder and madder. And I was texting Robin, and I'm like, we are going to buy poison, and we are going to kill every one of those little critters. They are going to die. We are going to put it in a garage. We're going to put it under the truck. We're going to put it in the basement. We're going to put it in the attic. And it, just the more I thought about it, the more it began to boil, and I was just so mad. <clears throat> what we focus on thrives. If you take a conscious choice to begin to focus on how much God loves you, you'll begin to recognize his love in your life, in areas. That's why six times John called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. He was practicing and rehearsing and reminding himself just how much God loved him. 
And this is what he heard out of the mouth of Jesus in John 13, 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. Your ability to love others will be hampered by your ability to allow yourself to be loved first. He says, by all of this, by this all of will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul told the Ephesians, he said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So your relationship with your spouse and those around you will be, be hindered by your ability to allow yourself to be loved because you can't give what you haven't allowed yourself to receive. And so this morning, I want to give you homework. I've got some cards I'll put on the back table, and this is what they say. And what I would like you to do, if you choose to, this is always if you're wanting, I want you to take this, I want you to get up in the morning, and I want you to say this over yourself. If you need reminding throughout the day, pull the card out, read it again. And I want you to let it be the last thing that you say before you go to sleep at night. And here's what it is. God, I'm so glad that you love me and you gave yourself for me. I receive your love now. You have poured your love into my heart and I will love as you love me. And then just take a deep breath and let him fill you with love. Maybe you've been watching us this morning and you haven't received Jesus and you haven't become accepted in the beloved. You know what? It doesn't take anything more than just what he said. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we'd love to pray with you right now. Come on, church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And right now we receive him. We thank you that he died on our behalf. That we might live that we might be loved. And so right now we receive Jesus and we receive your love and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we'd love for you to get in contact with us. We'd love to get some resources in your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. But guys, I want you to remember that you are loved and you are accepted by the Father. You guys have a great week. Let's have some good conversations.